Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. Dr. Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in working with couples using the Gottman Method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships. Dr. Dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities, CEOs, influencers, and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. Hello, and welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. This is the podcast about all things relationships, and I'm continuing with my series of letting you meet some of the amazing clinicians that I get to work with on a daily basis, and this young lady that you're going to, I hope that's not offensive, you are a young lady to me, a delightful (laughs) young lady, um, Sabrina Manriquez. She is one of the top-notch clinicians in my practice. We call her a lead, so she leads others on how to be like her, and I wanted to give you not only an introduction to her, top notch at working with affair couples. And so we're going to talk about affairs and the myths behind affairs and all things affairs today. So hello, love, say hello. Hello. Thank you for having me on. Of course. So tell us a little bit about your background. How did you decide I'm going to become a therapist, a couples therapist that is? Oh, goodness. Well, I have a background working with youth was kind of how I started into the therapy realm. I was working with kiddos on the spectrum, kiddos with special needs. And then I worked with uh, youth in crisis Mm. and working with youth in crisis. We learn a lot of the times that sometimes it's the dynamic happening within the home that's creating a lot of the turmoil and can be adding to the difficulties that the youth are having. And so in working with those youths, I saw a lot of the dynamics happening within the family system. And so you mean per- parents, not yes. to, like to mince words, parents <laughs> were not modeling healthy relationships. Yeah, yeah, basically. And I found I wanted to create more of an impact and I kept getting frustrated having all of these <laughs> teens coming in and saying, I'm having a hard time, you know, I'm wanting to harm myself. I am not sure how to handle a relationship that I'm having because it's really toxic and there's weird Mm. age gaps happening. Mm. And I got frustrated because I wanted to get to the source of it and I couldn't cause enough change just working with youth as rewarding as it was. I wanted to prevent this from happening to more youth. So I went in pursuit of getting to this, what I was viewing as closest to the source at the time. And that's working with couples. Great. And I'm so glad that you did. What do you think is the best part about working with couples? Oh my goodness. You never know what's going to be walking into the room, but it is also so rewarding and challenging as a clinician because you can actually see the change happening in the room versus with individuals they go out into the world and then they report back what they're hearing. And sometimes I'm going, I hope that's actually what you're doing within your dynamics. But with couples, you can see it. You can tell if there's change. What's that dynamic like for you? Because I think one of the things that those of us who are not couples therapists don't really understand is we get this front 
throw of some pretty intimate, vulnerable moments that the rest of us, if we could see that, we would not be so scared of couples therapy because we know that we all have these worries and fears, but talk about that a little bit. Right. It's so rewarding in a different way than just working with an individual because with couples, you're seeing them try to create change within their relationship and doing that within the room and trying something to do a behavior or talk to each other in a way that they haven't in the past, Mm. which is really scary for them. You know, there's a lot of vulnerability happening in the room during couples therapy that we don't see just in individual sessions. Yeah. And you're so good at normalizing that there's nothing broken in the relationship that we're here because we want new tools, right? We want, we went to hang a picture. We only had a screwdriver. We didn't know we needed a hammer. So we went to Sabrina, AKA Home Depot to get some new tools. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with us. We don't have to walk around the aisles looking for the Home Depot person, like being nervous and embarrassed that we're there. Right. Right. And it's, a shame because we're not given those tools before going into our relationships. We don't usually see that modeled by our parents, which I guess is the root of all. If I'm trying to get back to the source, I got to get back to your great, 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 great grandparents. But a lot of couples don't have that. We have this intergenerational trauma handed down to us that most of our clients don't realize that they're kind of just replaying what they learned, like little sponges, we suck it in, right? And then we just keep on repeat until a great clinician like you goes, so I'm wondering, how's that serving you doing it five generations from now? Right, right. Okay. So let's talk about affairs because that is a hot topic since COVID around our practice. And you are booked out with many an affair couple, other couples too. (laughs) First of all, what's your perspective about why affairs revved up so much during COVID? I think affairs definitely took an upswing during COVID because a lot of people were trying to find themselves and Mm. trying to make themselves feel more whole or feel something. Mm. And sometimes it's scary to tell your partner, I need something, or maybe we've tried to tell our partner multiple times, I need something. Mm. And maybe that's been shut down, or maybe that wasn't met in a way that we felt heard. And so when we have a coworker who we're seeing on Zoom, every week start to go, Hey, how was, you know, your week? Wow. That was very interesting. Oh, you're so funny. Mm -hmm. They make you feel interesting and in ways that you haven't seen yourself since you started putting sweatpants on as your formal wear, right? That like, I'm still hot, even though I haven't showered in three days. What? Right. Right. So talk about this affair process, because one of the things that I, I'm hoping you'll, you'll dig into a little bit and you didn't know I was going to ask you this, but you'll be fine. <laughs> um, I am interested sometimes when couples come in and they have varying um, opinions about what an affair is, because there is a upswing of sexting and emotional affairs that have nothing to do with us ever being in the same room together, hence COVID. And how do you deal with couples that have differing opinions about what makes an affair an affair? Mm -hmm. Right. There are plenty of times where couples come in and they're saying, I, it wasn't that bad. I just sent a picture to this person and the other partner is sitting on the couch sobbing their eyes out because it feels like a huge betrayal. Sure. And so I usually view it, a betrayal is a betrayal whether or not you're viewing it as a quote unquote affair, because maybe there was not any physical contact that was happening with that person. 
it's still a betrayal and it's still creating a wound within our relationship that that partner is now having to cope with. And that partner is now having to grieve with the idea of what they thought their relationship was. And there is a healing process that has to come with it. Yeah, we often talk about that having an affair or finding out about one is comparable to being diagnosed as having PTSD, right? Like everything got pulled out from underneath you. You have all the same symptoms that somebody would have if they have PTSD. You have, you know, hypervigilance, you have problems sleeping, you keep repeating like this vision of them embracing or whatever that cognitive, you know, image that's caught that keeps playing on auto repeat as you circle the drain that Mm -hmm. this is very similar to all of the symptoms that you would have. So we have to take it as seriously as that. How are clients showing up when they've just had the, you know, experience of finding out about an affair? What does a typical client look like when they come to your office? What's their state of mind? It's tough to say, because I think that there are a couple options of what's coming into the room. Mm -hmm. There is sometimes the partner who comes in, who has been the betrayer, who is groveling, feels horrible for what they've done, is saying that they're willing to do anything to get back in the relationship. And across the couch from them might be their partner who is either saying, yes, but I don't know how we're going to get over this. And that's really scary. Or that partner has completely shut down because they don't have their emotions accessible to them because those emotions are too weighty at that moment. So they're just, you know, cold face or more of a stone wall type of expression of you're not getting anything out of me. I have to protect myself. I don't trust you anymore. Or we have, sorry, we have the couple who comes in and the partner who maybe was the betrayer is going, it wasn't that big of a deal. Get over it. And the partner sitting on the couch next to them is a little bit of a mess because none of their feelings are getting validated. Yeah. And so is that for you a sign that we have a lot of work to do in the relationship. If I'm the betrayer, which is a behavior, not a characteristic, Mm -hmm. which we always Mm -hmm. like to point out, we don't allow anybody to do character assassinations because of a behavior that they did. But if I'm the betrayer and for whatever various reasons that there might be, because that's a whole episode in itself, I'm unable to show empathy for the situation that we find ourselves in. And I'm unable to connect emotionally with what my partner's experiencing. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you as a therapist when you see that couple sitting on your couch? That makes me want to do a lot of digging because how did we get there? How did we get to a space where you're seeing your partner in a state where they are confused about your relationship, are sobbing on the couch next to you, are looking at you like they don't know who you are as a person, and you're able to go, "Hmm, that's too bad. What has happened in the relationship that has made that feel safe to you and made that feel like an option? So you have to dig if that's an individual characteristic that has always been there for that person, right? Mm -hmm. Or something that slowly has developed over time it's now an additional layer in the seven layer dip of the things that we have to dig out of from the aftermath of this extra relationship situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So talk to us about some of the other myths that we uh, may think about affairs that you've learned over your time. I mean, I think one of the biggest thing that maybe the general public doesn't understand about affairs is the fact that 
like you said, this is a behavior. This isn't a characteristic. Affairs don't just happen because one partner looks at their partner and says, you're unattractive. And so I'm going to go talk to my coworker who, you know, has been going to the gym during COVID, mm -hmm. right? Affairs are happening because of dynamics within ourselves, dynamics within our relationship. And a lot of times it has nothing to do with the partner sitting on the couch next to them. Yeah. I think that's the hardest thing for our couples to take in when they first, well, first of all, taking anything in, which is why, you know, at our <laughs> practice, we do a two hour session for the first session, because we use this concept called flooding, which is essentially fight or flight or freeze. And couples are so flooded that, you know, their brain is hijacked and I'm asking them to do math. It's not going to happen. So giving them the permission to slow way down, not make any decisions is the first thing that you do. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, then you introduce what you're talking about now that we all have different processes. We all have different things that are happening for us. And how are we, how are we perceiving what's happened? Is it that we assume that we're not enough versus your partner doesn't feel enough and they've sought some sort of validation in the shape of this other person. It's rarely about the other person. It's about what I got to experience via seeing myself in another way that I haven't seen in a long time. Mm -hmm. Right. So what is the, one of the questions that always comes up, which is, hey, fairness to all, all therapists, they're the hardest thing for us to do. They need to rebuild trust. Right. How do you do that, sweet pea? Tell, <laughs> tell us your magic. I, uh, in the Gottman world, there are things called rituals of connection, which are basically the small things that we do to show consistency, to show care. They're the small things often happening within our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I am a huge fan of incorporating these small rituals after some big betrayal has happened. Mm -hmm. So, and recognizing that those small things that we're doing aren't going to be permanent in our relationship. We are not always going to have the ritual of, okay, because you were communicating with the affair partner via text and you would always do that at night before I went to bed. So we now have this ritual where every night at eight o'clock, we both put our phones on the kitchen counter and we don't touch them anymore. And we do that as our ritual to create safety and to create trust. That might not have to be something that we do for forever, but for right now, the partner who is experiencing all of those PTSD symptoms are being soothed when they see their partner unprompted taking their phone and putting it on you know, the kitchen counter. And I love that therapeutic reframe that this is not rules, that these are rituals of connection because that feels mm -hmm. much safer, right? There, this idea that, cause this comes up and I'm sure you hear it like every time, does that mean I get access to your phone? Right. So if that's a rule that I get access to your phone versus a ritual of connection that I ask, how are you feeling? Do you feel like it would be helpful to like mm -hmm. talk, you know, look at my phone or should we set our phone aside on times that it might be triggering that that's a ritual versus a rule and just the semantics of that sets you up for success. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Well, because we don't want to create a dynamic now within the relationship where we have our partner who's in the doghouse and the other partner has all the power within the relationship. So I get to set up any rule that I want. You have to obey it. That's not going to be successful for us. How are we going to grow out of that? We need to create something where we're doing it together because we're both showing up for this relationship. And you're setting them up that, okay, we're doing this because we, we're working on trust versus I'm doing this to save the relationship because I'm scared that you won't stay if I don't give you what you want. How long is that mm -hmm. sustainable for? Probably about three months. 
<laughs> All right. Tell us some more. This is good stuff, Sabrina. What else do you have for <laughs> listeners? If they find themselves well, first of all, there seems to be a pattern of how people find out about affairs or is there? What's that myth about? Oh, goodness. I think it can come out a numerous amount of ways, right? Sometimes it's my partner was sleeping and I saw a name ping up on their phone. I said, who's this? I opened it up and lo and behold, mm. sometimes it's, uh, listen, this affair has been going on for a really long time and I can't continue to be in a space where I'm keeping this from you because I do want our relationship to grow. Mm -hmm. And maybe it's the partner who was having the affair that's disclosing it. Mm -hmm. So there's no certain way that it happens or that. Oh, no. Okay. So what's the next step? What should they do? Do you have any rules in your office about how we're going to handle the discussion about the affair itself or the details or what Mm -hmm. went down? Right. Well, I actually learned, you know, this from you of the idea, hey, I know that we have a billion questions that are going through our mind right now when we find out that our partner has betrayed us. Mm. We cannot live in a space where I am going to work and I am getting text messages or phone calls from my partner all day long about the affair partner. And if I was in love with them and if we went on vacation together and what it means, and we need to find a way to compartmentalize what has happened within our relationship. And so creating some type of time limit, right? Of maybe we're spending one hour at night where we talk about it, but then we have to recognize that the world is more than just this betrayal, even though our world feels very much encapsulated by this betrayal. How about this concept that clients come in where they're wanting to know all the details and all the nitty gritty about this, if there was sex with the other partner, or how do you guide them through that? Typically they've already asked and they've already gone through it and it's not going to do us any good in the healing process for me to understand which sex positions my partner did with their partner. Cause now when we have intimacy within our relationship, that's all I'm going to be thinking about, right? We need to create distance between that. We need to recognize that what they were doing with the affair partner may have nothing to do with their needs within your relationship. It's a complete separate relationship that they were finding themselves through. Do you see a difference between the couples where the affair has just happened and they're coming into therapy right away versus the couple where it's been a couple of years we just didn't deal with it. It's, Mm -hmm. you know, it's part of what we're doing with you now. How do you navigate that? Do you see differences in those couples? I see a lot, obviously a lot more raw emotion in the couples where it had just happened, right? They're trying to make sense of everything. They're trying to sort out their timeline, which is super important for the partner who is experiencing the betrayal. They are, in a space where it's back and forth. Maybe I'm screaming at you one moment, we're having sex the next moment. I don't know how to feel at this moment, right? And so usually our conversations at the first few sessions together are a lot more just creating understanding and creating validation for those emotions that they're experiencing versus the couples who have come in and there's been an affair that's happened years in the past when we just throw things under the rug, we are throwing a lot of our vulnerability under the rug as well. And we're creating a space where we can't talk about difficult things or maybe talking about difficult things lead to conflict. So rather than me opening up and sharing my emotions and sharing how I feel and how I want to connect with you differently, 
Instead, I'm going, it's fine. I'll chop that piece of myself off and we'll continue on in our relationship. Nicely said, Sabrina, because that is definitely a dynamic that we're now carrying this load in our backpack with us everywhere. And we wonder why it's so heavy, but I can't ask you to carry mine because mine's just as heavy as yours. And it just creates this big value between our couples. Right. Good. Do you have other thoughts for those that might be finding themselves in this situation right now? Is there some thoughts of hope or some things that you want (laughs) to give to them to take away from this? Yeah, I mean, I think, like I said before, affairs are not properly represented within our society. I mean, when I try to think of couples who have stayed together after an affair that we have heard about, I mean, who do we have? Like Bill Clinton, Beyonce, and Jay-Z, who else do we got? We don't have that many examples of what that looks like for us, right? So creating more understanding, not necessarily saying that, hey, this behavior is okay and we should be okay with it as a society, but creating more hope for the couples who are experiencing a betrayal like this so that they feel that there are more options for them. Because a lot of times for the partner who is on the other side of, wow, I've been wronged by my partner. So now I have to be a strong individual. And that means I have to leave this person out of nowhere that's not accessible for a lot of us, right? Because there's so many more characteristics to those partners that we love and that we want to stay with and that we see really beautiful moments with. And it maybe a lot of the couples that are coming into our sessions, it's hard for them to imagine a world without them, even if this really horrible behavior has happened. Yeah, it seems so cruel that people that love you are suggesting that you do something that's so painful to you in the midst of having flooding brain fog where you can't even tie your shoe that you're being asked to make such a monumental decision. And so I really appreciate that your office is a place where you're not forcing them to make a decision. There is no right decision. There's only processing where you're at right now and there's no pressure for you to make the right decision and all of them are right decisions it's what makes sense and and your space is safe for them to do that without feeling like they're letting somebody down so I think that is a nice gift that you give to all the couples that get to work with you tell us what your definition of commitment is that's my new question for everybody I'm curious what people view that because it's this word that I don't think we talk about with our partners as we're getting together and can cause trouble so what's Mm -hmm. Sabrina's definition of commitment oh that is a really good question I think commitment is having the understanding that relationships take work Mm -hmm. no matter what type of relationship doesn't even need to be a romantic relationship understanding that to be in this with another person sometimes I'm going to have to make compromise sometimes I'm going to be in a space where I'm questioning our relationship from time to time but that doesn't mean that I'm going to put up a big wall and say okay we're done it just means that we're going to have to work through things together and we recognize that that's difficult but at the end of the day I view you as a value with my life and I enjoy having you there. So I'm willing to stick around. I'm willing to put in the hard work and we'll roll up our sleeves together. Good God. No wonder we have couples therapy. That's a lot, (laughs) but true, right? Okay. All right. This is delightful. Any last words for anybody listening to this that want to know you or want to know more about what you do? 
Oh, not that I can think of. I don't have anything to plug. Maybe one day I'll have a fancy pants podcast like you. Oh, it's not fancy (laughs) pants. And you are part of a practice that considers you a fancy pants. So she's completely booked all the time, but she is a a delay at the practice. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to introduce you and to hear your wisdom. So thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. Okay. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. This has been the D-Spot Podcast with Dr. Dana McNeil. To learn more about Dr. Dana's practice, simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.